Advent, uh, we're looking at John the Baptist today, who uh, famously was related to Jesus through blood relatives. Um, and it got me thinking, with Christmas coming up and spending time with so many different family members that we have, uh, if you could choose your family, what a perfect extended family would look like for you, what would you do? Uh, yeah, don't answer that if you're sitting next to your aunt or your uncle or something. Um, of course, I think about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation when Cousin Eddie famously shows up unannounced and Clark is surprised and Eddie says, are you surprised to see me? And Clark says, Eddie, if I woke up with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised than I am right now. Obviously, one of the all-time great movies. And, you know, as that statement goes, you can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. And as Christmas looming, you may be thinking, that sounds, doesn't sound so bad. Maybe, what if I could? But thankfully, we can't change our families and our relatives. Thankfully, we don't have that ability, as difficult as some family members might be. For better or worse, they are your people. They are your people. Sometimes, families, many times, could have a God-ordained purpose, how God has weaved us together into lineages for example, Jesus and John the Baptist. The Bible tells us they were related. They were cousins. Jesus, of course, born from Mary, and John born from Elizabeth, whose father was Zechariah. And we don't really know how Mary and Elizabeth were related. Some translations use the word cousins. Some say just related but regardless, we know that Jesus and John were either first or second cousins, that they were related in some manner. And not only that, but John and Jesus have a lot in common. They were both of their births were heralded by angels. That's not uh, something you and I can say has happened to us. John and Jesus' birth were foretold. God sent an angel, angelos means messenger, sent messengers to proclaim the birth of these two men to their parents. Of course, the Gospel of Luke, when John's father, Zechariah, heard this news from the angel, Zechariah kind of pulled an Abraham and Sarah moment and goes, what are you talking about? I'm way too old to have a baby. Not a, we can't have children. And what does the angel do? He strikes Zechariah mute for his lack of faith. And Zechariah does not speak until the baby is born. Now, some of you wives are thinking, that sounds like a pretty good deal. That sounds pretty awesome. Nonverbal communication just got even better in my household. No, but then, of course, John is conceived through a miraculous means as well, through Zechariah and Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth was already six months pregnant, an angel visits her cousin Mary, telling her that her son would be called the Most High and she was to name him Jesus. So Mary didn't have to look through a baby name book. She didn't have to go on the internet. The angel made it clear what her baby's name was going to be, Jesus. And when Mary told Elizabeth about her visit from this angel, John, in Elizabeth's womb, jumps with joy, according to the Gospel of Luke. So one can surmise that because Jesus and John are related, that they grew up together, that they knew each other, in some capacity, growing up in Judea and that part of Israel in the first century. The Bible does not tell us much about their early years, if at all, very little about Jesus. 
almost nothing about John. The next time you see John in the, in the Bible, after this womb-leaping incident in Luke, is what we're going to read today in Mark. John now appears on the scene in the Judean countryside, preaching repentance of sins and baptizing people, and saying he's quoting Isaiah 43. He's quoting this prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born. John is in the wilderness preaching and proclaiming this message of Isaiah. And John was so persuasive, so authoritative, so impactful that people thought that he was the Messiah. People thought John was the new Elijah that had come. Of course, he wasn't. He was in the wilderness preaching this Isaiah 40, a voice cries out in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John was preaching this message in the middle of nowhere, and he was incredibly popular, incredibly popular. Matthew chapter 3 tells us that the whole Judean countryside came out to see him. Thousands of people go out to see this man in the wilderness. A lot of commentaries describe the Judean wilderness near, um, in this area as a hot depression in the earth. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? A hot depression. It ranges from 800 feet below sea level to 1,300 feet below sea level. And it is described as being wild in every possible way you can imagine. And yet, Mark 1 will show us that thousands of people go out into this place to hear Jesus, Jesus' cousin, John. What's the appeal here? I mean, would you go to your wife, your husband, or your boyfriend or girlfriend and go, hey, hey, honey, what do you say we go out into a hot depression in the earth and hear this wild man talk about repentance of sin, and he eats honey and, eats, and drinks honey and eats wild locusts. Maybe we could pack a picnic lunch. I've heard it's quite good. And once we get there, he'll tell us that we're a brood of vipers. It could really pay off. What's the appeal here? Thousands of people go out to hear this man preach. They get baptized in the Jordan River. In the eyes of the world, John the Baptist was a strange man with a strange message in a strange place. The most remarkable and attractive preacher, though, he's removed from all civilization, and yet everyone wants to hear him. There's no Starbucks, there's no bathroom, there's no adequate parking, and yet they came. It's a great reminder for all of God's people today that there is no ideal place to serve God except the place where God has put you. And use what you're given and trust God to do the rest. Jesus would then later affirm that John, his, he called him his half-cousin, was the greatest who has ever been born of a woman. That John the Baptist, the greatest on the face of the earth. He'd ever lived and yet, Jesus says, in the kingdom of heaven, John is actually one of the least. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, I tell you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John. 
Jesus certainly did not, I mean, John did not see himself as great. He would say in other parts of Matthew, he did not see himself worthy to baptize Jesus. He said, I'm not worthy to even untie his sandals, something the Apostle Paul would echo in his letters. But one reason that John, Jesus called John the greatest is because John was the herald or the precursor to the coming of the Messiah. And this needed to be a holy man because he had a holy message for God's people. Truly, John was God's man doing God's work in God's place, the most unlikely of places. So here are these words of Mark chapter 1. In the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals, his cousin. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 3, tells us a little more detail about what led to John going out in the wilderness. Before he goes out into the wilderness, Luke chapter 3 verse 2 tells us that the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. That's an important distinction because without the word coming to John, without having something to say from God, he would have no ministry. Without the word speaking to John first, he would have nothing to say. He would have had no message. I once saw a preacher on TV uh, somewhere in the triad, and literally the front of the, 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 the preaching area was guys, was armed security. It was guys with guns, and they were standing like this, and they had sunglasses on. It was crazy. And like, you know, sometimes people may want to manufacture authority to create it, and it comes out of a place of insecurity. But only God gives true authority. And that authority is not founded in the words of men and women, but in the word of God. And John's authority not, did not come from himself, right? It came from the word of the Lord coming to him first. See, God is the only one who gives ministry. God is the only one who gives authority. He can take it. He can give it away in his, his own timing. Clearly, John is not preaching his message. He's preaching the word of the Lord to the people. And because of that, he had something to say. He had God's words to say. When I worked at the, the Billy Graham uh, Evangelistic Association, I heard a story, firsthand account of uh, a son of a vice president of the ministry. And the son wanted to be an evangelist like Billy was. So this uh, young man who was well-intentioned and, and, and wanting to do ministry in the world, he, he got an audience with Dr. Graham and he came to him and said, uh, sir, I've always looked up to you. I, I want to be like you. I want to be an evangelist like you. And I was going to ask you, would, you, would the ministry give me $50,000 so that I can start my own 
ministry and evangelistic work? It's a good question. It's uh, you know, well-intentioned. And Dr. Graham looked at him for a while and paused and thought about it, and he said, no. He said, go and preach the word. God will bring you the money. Don't take the money first, right? That's a hard lesson to learn, but that God gives authority. God gives ministry. He makes it happen, and it's founded on the word. It is all the difference in the world between saying something or having something to say. With the word of God, John had something to say. Without the word to proclaim, John would merely be proclaiming his own opinion. And if there's one thing our world doesn't need, is one more opinion. Amen to that. So John's impact as a preacher was not because of his clothes or his wild appearance or his ministry in the hot depression in the middle of the wilderness, but because of his message. Any impact you and I will make in our personal lives, in your own personal ministry, we're all, all Christians have ministry, the priesthood of all believers, any impact you may make is not going to be on your own ability or even your own opinion or even your own personal. It's going to be grounded in the word of God, God speaking through you. That message comes not from ourselves, but from the word. And that's why it's so important for us to remember Sometimes when you feel the most afraid to be bold in your witness and to speak the word, that's probably the time you should. That's probably the time you should press through that barrier because we have to be faithful. I mean, how will, how will people know if, if no one tells them, right? And that's our role as Christians today, that we all have ministry, we all have been given the word, so we should share it with the world around us. So I was reading this passage throughout the week, and of course, like many of you, I've heard this story many, many times. And I was just thinking, why, why send the word to John? You know, Isaiah 40, make straight in the pathway in the desert for our God. Prepare the way. Why, why does a trail need to be blazed for Jesus? Like, God is God. Couldn't he just blaze the trail himself? Couldn't he just make his own pathway? Why send John? You know, it got me thinking about it in this way. Have you ever been sick and you don't know the solution? And it kind of bothers you. And you kind of think, now before the internet, friends, children, kids, we would speculate wildly about what could be the problem. Um, you would try crazy things that you think could help. Usually involved al apple cider vinegar, maybe. Uh, rub some dirt on it was a family adage of mine. Um, a poultice maybe some leeches, I don't know, things like that, a clove of garlic on your belt, your grandma's chicken soup can fix leprosy, you know, whatever it could be, it could be all these sorts of things that you don't know the solution. It's like that guy in the big, in big Fat Greek Wedding, you ever seen this movie? And the father thinks that Windex fixes every problem, and they have a rash, I'll squirt some Windex on it, or you have a, a mole, oh, Windex, you know, <laughs> he thought that ammonia fixed everyone's ailments. Now, you could also search the internet for your problem, which many of us do, but if you do that, you're going to find out that, well, you probably have cancer. That's probably, that's for the diagnosis that I usually find. When I'm like, I have a headache, oh dear, I didn't want to hear that. I thought I had a sinus infection, but I might have Ebola. You know, it's sort of a toss-up, really. 
But when you're sick and you don't know the solution, what you need is someone outside of yourself that can shine light on your situation, right? You need someone that can diagnose you accurately, that knows uh, a bigger breadth of knowledge, someone that can accurately tell you, someone with authority. And then it's up to us to either accept it or ask for a second opinion or ignore it. In short, when you're sick and you don't know the solution, we need a herald who can go ahead of you and help you understand and help you know what you wouldn't know by yourself otherwise. John is that herald, the same as it was then as it is now. We still need the herald. We need someone to go ahead of us to proclaim the way of the Lord, to proclaim the message of repent, to listen to the one outside of our own heads who knows better than we do, what we, what, who knows what we know more than sometimes we know, that we always, always need to heed the word of the Lord to prepare the way. And that's why Advent is so wonderful because it is this season of preparation. It is a time of reflection to stop and ask ourselves some questions that only you know the answers to. But like, what things do you idolize over and above the love of God? What sins could be preventing you? Unconfessed sin could be preventing you from knowing more the goodness of God. In what ways have we trusted in our own righteousness more than the grace of God? In what ways have we falsely accused our neighbors? On and on we could go. But friends, when we ask ourselves these questions, we are preparing the way of the Lord. Do you see that? You feel that? That's the Holy Spirit peeling back the layers, shining light on dark places, pouring living water on dry ground. When we ask ourselves those questions and we come honestly before God, that's where healing happens. That's where the Spirit of God can do great work within us. Uh, when we, when we, we trust him, we trust his word to go into those places, to prepare, to make straight a pathway for our God. God's, God's ways are always perfect. He, he doesn't go, go curvy sometimes. We're the ones that he wants, he wants to make straight a pathway for, toward. It reminds me of the Christmas carol, Joy to the World. Let every heart prepare him room. And that's our prayer today, friends, that we would continually be preparing room for him. Let's pray together. God, indeed, you've given us this day, another day, to know you, to walk with you, to experience your goodness and your forgiveness in our lives. We thank you, God, for your presence among us that you're faithful from age to age. And God, we thank you that it's from your word that we encounter new life. So God, I pray you would empower God's people gathered here to know that they have been given the word of God. We have a message. It's your message to go and proclaim. And God, you're continually also desiring to refine and sanctify your people, to continually make us into a holy priesthood. And I pray in the name of Jesus over all those gathered that they would know of your sanctifying spirit making us holy, that you don't want to leave us as we are, that you love us too much, but that you're continually in invested in our lives. And I pray that all those gathered 
would know that you are not distant from your people. That from age to age, nothing will separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. The devil can't, demons can't, angels can't, death can't, nothing. And God, I pray for anyone gathered here that they would know, Lord, that you are closer than close right now. That you are so very near to your people. You're always ready to heal and forgive and transform. So we pray that you would renew within us the joy of our salvation and that you would do it again. We offer you this time of worship in Christ's name.